to be able to sing boldly, be able to um, just be a Christian <laughs> in this world, Lord. We, we thank you so much. And we ask, Lord, that you please help us as we work through this. May this topic of sanctification be our heart's prayer for ourselves, for each other, Lord, and, and for this church as it was for Paul towards the Thessalonians, that we would be sanctified. And I also think in the next 10 years to come of this church, Lord, may, may that be so much the heartbeat of this church as well, to live a life that is conformed to the image of Christ as individuals and as a church, Lord. Thank you so much for this opportunity and this privilege. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have in verse 23, before we, before we get into some of the other things, I want to just define what I mean by sanctification. Now, that's point number one, definition. Sanctification is essentially to be set apart, to be consecrated. Um, so in the Old Testament, the first time the word sanctified is used is in Genesis 2 verse 3. And in Genesis 2 verse 3, you read that the Lord God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it. What does he mean by sanctified it? It's different to the rest. On each of the six days, he created, he worked, and, but on the seventh day, he rested, he sanctified it, he put it aside. It's different than the rest. Okay? The second time the word sanctified is used is, is in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 2. It says, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Set it aside, it is mine. Okay? So what we have immediately when we look at the first two times this word is used in Scripture is that there's a separation from, can I say, the normality. Okay? A separation from the normality. And that is what, ne what needs to stick in our minds when we see that word is we as Christians need to be separated from what is considered normative. Okay? In society. And what I, I didn't know this, but the word saint, the word saint comes from the exact same Greek word. The, so in other words, if you, if you read the New Testament, when Paul refers to saints, or when we hear saints in the New Testament, it's referring to Christians. So by essentially by saying the saints in Ephesus, he's saying the ones who are separated, the ones who are set apart for Christ in Ephesus. That's what it means to be a saint. We are set apart. We are not like the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul writes, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. All right? Now, that's after that famous verse that says, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then it says, What communion hath the darkness with light? And what? There's, no, there's no communion between these two. And so he says, We need to come out from among them and be separate. But as I say this, the first thing that comes to my mind is Jesus, who, although he was separate, he did not forsake to minister and be among those who needed it most. So when we say be separate, we're not saying be, uh, be separated to such an extent that you have no interaction with the world, right? But we are separated in conduct, in thought, in mind, in action. But we use that to minister to the people who have not yet been separated. Now, have, turn your Bible to John chapter 17, and Jesus speaks about sanctification in John chapter 17. You're probably familiar with John 17, where Jesus prays 
for his disciples and for those to, to be his disciples as in us in the future. But in John chapter 17 and verse 15, I think this perfectly explains what we're talking about when it comes to sanctification. So John 17, 15 says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. You immediately see what's happening there. Don't take them out so that they can be to no effect, but separate them, keep them from evil. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am I'm not of the world. So we are in, you've probably heard that we're in the world, not of the world. We are in, but not of the world. Then the verse you all know, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Do you see how there's constantly this, they are separated, but they're not out of it. They are separated, they are for a holy use, they are sent into the world, but they are not of the world. And that's exactly where we need to find ourselves. We need to be separated unto God and from the world for God's purposes, to be set apart for that purpose. Now, I want to, this is going to play a part further on in the lesson, but the in, in the Greek language, you have, well, we have it in, in any language, you have tenses. But what I find interesting about the cases where the word sanctified is used, it's used in a different tense. And so what's interesting about the tense in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 5, verse 23, is that the tense is called, now, this, whatever it means, <laughs> it's the aorist tense. Okay? Just so you know. Now, what this means, maybe some of you know this, is that it is referring back to something in the past, but it is not defining whether that thing that happened in the past was a single event or the start of a process. Okay? So that's what that tense of the word sanctified in 1 Thessalonians mean. Now, the reason I find that incredibly interesting is because as we go on with the lesson, you'll see that the Bible sometimes uses the word sanctified to refer to justification and sometimes to the process of being made more like Christ. So what, I'm, what I see in this is that it is pointing back. The reason Paul is using it in this tense is because he wants it to be able to point back to that point where it started and then how it continues through your life. It's not just a single point. And that's why I have these two black dots on the, on the board here. There is a point where something happened. But that does not mean there's no process that comes from that. All right. So that I found interesting. And we'll look at uh, another tense of sanctified later on in the, in the lesson. All right. So that's the first point. We've defined it. It's to be separated unto God. It's for His use. But it doesn't mean we are separated to such an extent that we have no effect in this world. All right. Secondly, now, I wanted, you can see, I wanted to alliterate this, right? So I made up a word. It's a doer. I, well, it's, not, it's not a made-up word, but it's, a, it's not a nice word like doctrine or define. or uh, What I'm trying to say is author. Okay? God is the author of sanctification. Okay? He is the one who 
initiates the process. He's the one who is, gives us the power for this process. He's the one who wrote this process, if I can put it that way. It is God's handiwork, is sanctification. So we'll get into that a bit more. But have a look at um, Philippians chapter 1 quickly. Wait, before you turn there, while you're in First Thessalonians, why are we talking about this? First Thessalonians 5 verse 23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you. Who's the one who's working this? It is the God of peace. Have a look at verse 24. It says, Faithful is he that called you who will also do it. So God is the one who is working. He is the doer. He is the author. Okay? Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. I'm sure you're familiar with this verse. Sanctification is something God ultimately does. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, that's the first dot on the board, that is justification, he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is exactly the same that we find in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says in the very God of peace, sanctify you holy, right? And then it says, and I pray God that your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's unto that day. Okay, so you see there's the second point. First point, second point. Here we see the same thing. He who begun will complete. God is involved intimately in this process. Have a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians 2:13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God who works in us. We don't naturally have the will or the desire to do God's good pleasure. It is because Christ is in us. It is because the Holy Spirit works in us that we want to and that we are able to do of His good pleasure. It's because of God's work. So God is the doer. God is the one working in us. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, I'm sure you know the verse, but it says we are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher the author and the finisher of our faith. That is who God is. That is who Jesus works in this. All right, but just because God is the author, does that mean we are exempt of any responsibility? And I think this is where some people potentially trip up, is that just because God is the author of sanctification, that does not mean we don't have any responsibility to play. I thought about it this morning and the thought came to mind, if someone handed me instructions, a machine, and tools, the person is the author of the book, he's the one who empowered me with the tools and everything that I need to get this machine running, but does that mean the machine is just going to start running if I put the tools and the instructions down there? No. It, the person still remains the author. God still remains the author and the one who provides the means for this thing to work, but that doesn't mean we are exempt. Of responsibility in it. So, what is our response? So, sanctification is something God does. Okay, we've established that. In other words, it's His plan and He provides the power. Okay, but we need to yield to it. 
Okay? We read in, in 1 Thessalonians 5 that one of the items, one of the exhortations is quench not the Spirit. Okay? We can, we can um, not be a vessel through which God can work freely. We can limit that through our yielding ourselves to sin. Right? That's the language in Romans chapter 6. If you know Romans chapter 6, it's yield not, right? let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. Reckon yourselves to be dead. It's, it's, that, it's that mind in which is submitted to God's working and His Spirit working through your life. If that was not the case, we wouldn't have verses like quench not the Spirit because it's just, the Spirit is going to do what it's going to do and what's going to happen is going to happen. Where there is yielding involved in our side. So God does the work, it's His plan, it's His power, but we yield to it. Now, I, I, I read um, Hebrews 12, verse 2, which speaks about God being the author and finisher, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But the verse that precedes it in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says something, um, I think, that speaks exactly to the fact that we have responsibility in this. So the verse that preceded that verse says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and, uh, and the sin that doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here is the race that is set before us. Let us run it with patience, and let us lay aside the weights, the, the sin that so easily beset us while we are on this race. And then we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see how he, just because he is the author, just because he is the one who empowers us, does not mean that we do not have any responsibility in this process. In the book of First Thessalonians, um, so Paul obviously references sanctification here in verse 23, but he also references it in, in chapter 4. And in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse, verse 3, we read, that for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Okay? That you should abstain from fornication. Now, if you had nothing to do with that, why would Paul be writing, abstain from fornication? And then, verse 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. You need to know how to do that. Now, where do you find the information? How do you find the power to do that? In God's Word, through His Spirit. That's where you get it. But it is still up to you to yield yourself to that work that He wants to accomplish in your life. All right. So that is, we've defined, we've seen that God is the author, God is the doer. And now I want to look at the degree. So what is the degree of sanctification that is acceptable? All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 what is the degree of sanctification or the extent of the sanctification? Verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you, what? Holy. Completely. Entirely. Completely and entirely. I almost want to say <laughs> every nook and cranny. All of you. That's why he goes on to say spirit, soul, and body. All of you. Now, We'll get to that. But some people see sanctification predominantly as something of the body. Okay? Now, does sanctification have a direct impact in your body, your flesh, how you live? Yes, of course. 
But can someone have lived virtuously without actually being sanctified? Yes. You have people who are either religiously conditioned to live a certain way, you have people who are of different religion, you have atheists who have virtuous behavior. Okay? So it's not just a function of my outward working through my hands. Okay? So that's why I'm saying it's about spirit, soul, and body. It's not just the sanctification of your body. Another way of saying this, all of you, is to almost say your thoughts, the intents of your heart, and your works, your actions. Your thoughts, the intents of your hearts, and your actions. Completely and entirely. Now, I'm not going to say much more about this because as we go through the details, we'll, we'll get into that. But something I do want to point out at this point is the reference to soul and spirit that need to be sanctified. Now, this is going to segue into the details. Now, I, I, drew, I drew something here. Now, if you've done basic discipleship, you know that we are three parts, and these three parts all play a role in, in our salvation and everything. But I just want to illustrate it this way. So, we have spirit, and I want to say the spirit is inside of every person, right? We have the spirit inside of us. That, that's part of the life that we have, the fact that God breathed into us, right? And we became a living soul. That's what we read in Genesis chapter 2. So it's the life of God being breathed into us. But then we also have soul. And soul is essentially what distinguishes us from animals. It makes us, it, it's personality, it's, it's conscience, it's, it's our thoughts, it's our, all of that, okay? So that, that realm is also there. And these two make up the immaterial man, okay? That's the, can I say, the real you, your body, this flesh, is a tent. It's, it's going to die away, but it doesn't change who you really are. Okay? You are your, can I say, your spirit soul. <laughs> but what we have here is, and let me just draw that little man there. Okay? So that is, that is what we are. Now, the moment, the moment sin entered into the world, what did God say? The day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Right? What, what, was, what was true for Adam and Eve before that de- point of death? There was intimate fellowship between God and man. There was a relationship between the two. But the moment that death entered or sin entered into the world, death entered into the world, and I want to liken that to the spirit dying. Okay? That is why your spirit needs to be born again. That's why your spirit needs to be made alive. Okay? So the spirit allowed Adam and Eve to be connected to have fellowship with God. But the moment sin entered and they died, the fellowship was broken. Okay? So in order for us to have fellowship with God, our spirit needs to be made alive again. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay? But God quickened us. Okay? So that, that, that's our connection to God. But with this soul being incredibly stained with sin, that connection is, that doesn't mean people who are lost don't have a spirit. It means the spirit is dead unto God, but alive unto sin. When we get born again, our spirit is made alive unto God and dead to sin. Now, what is that? That's talking about the sanctification of your spirit, essentially, is that your spirit is being set aside for fellowship with God. Okay? That is what we're talking about when we say sanctify in the sense of your spirit. I want to say it's that your spirit is now different 
to the spirit of a lost man. It has been made alive and it is able, it is, it is possible for the spirit now to have fellowship with God. Okay? And then the soul needs to be saved. The soul needs to be cleansed. That means your conscience, your mind, all of that needs to be renewed by the spirit of God working in you. That, that your soul, and your soul should, the soul can, notice, the soul can hinder the flow towards God if it is stained with sin. So your fellowship can be disrupted by the sin of your soul, okay? The things that you do wrong, the motives, the intentions, the mind, okay? So there is disruption then, but then obviously in this body. I just want to make that distinguishing characteristic or idea there. Have a look at, on this point, just quickly, have a look at um, first, uh, let's have a look at Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, sorry. Now, in an, another way in which you, you see this clearly coming through is that the Spirit is what connects us to God, is in basic discipleship, you, we, we go through Second Corinthians, First um, Corinthians chapter 2, where it speaks about spiritual things being spiritually discerned and how the spirit of a man understands the spirit of a man, but we have not, we don't have the spirit of a man, but we have the spirit of God, which searches the deep things of God. And because we have his spirit, we can understand the deep things of God. We can understand God's word. So once again, there, the spirit is connected to our fellowship with God. But have a look at Romans, Romans chapter 8, um, verse 16. It says, the spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So once again, this spirit, the connection exists in the spirit. In verse 11, it says, Romans 8 verse 11, it says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he, um, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Once again, the spiritual aspect is what allows for us to be connected to God. It's what quickens us. It's the fact that the Spirit dwells in us, that there is fellowship between us and God. Sorry, I just wanted to make that clear distinguishing between spirit and soul. Because some, some people do say the spirit and the soul is the same thing. Now, in some cases, they are used sort of interchangeably because they, they, they're both immaterial. They dwell, in the cell, they dwell in the same realm or whatever, but there's too much Scripture showing particularly that, well, the one we're looking at now, spirit, soul, and body. Why would Paul use the same word twice if it was referring to or different words for the same thing? It, um, and the Word of God being a, a sharp sword that divides between spirit and soul and God breathing His life, His spirit, into the dust that he formed and that becoming a living soul. Those, those words are used differently. All right. Now let's lastly get to the doctrine, the details. Uh, details or the, or the doctrine. Now, I wish I had the nice big board that we have at um, our, uh, what would I say, our plot, our classroom, our whatever. But I'm going to try and put this out neatly. We, when we speak about sanctification, I want to divide it into, into three parts. Now, the three parts that we, I want to divide it into is essentially here, this section, and there. 
Okay? Those are the three parts the, that, that sanctification is often referred to. Um, so when we speak about sanctification here at the point of justification, we, you can turn to he, um, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. But what I want to speak about these three points is, is the one is what I want to refer to as positional. Okay? Positional sanctification. The other one is practical. And the last one is perfect. I really got my alliteration down. I don't know what happened, but it worked. <laughs> Positional, practical, and perfect. Positional, justified. What is your standing, right? What, where, where have you been placed spiritually? The, the term justification, justify, is a legal term that is used to say that someone is declared righteous when they are technically not yet righteous. It is an unfair thing that gets imputed to your soul. It is that we are made the righteousness of Christ, right? Even though we ourselves are sinners. So it's that it's a legal, I want to say, exchange that happens, and that's that's your position in Christ. Positionally, you are righteous. But practically, not necessarily, not yet. And then ultimately on that great day when Jesus Christ returns, we will be glorified and we will be perfectly sanctified, perfectly set apart in every aspect. Another way of thinking about these three is, in, in, in your position, is the penalty of sin has been taken care of. In practical, the power of sin you're no longer under the power of sin. And in terms of perfection, the presence. When we get glorified, this mortal body, the flesh, the world, the devil, all of that passes away and the presence of sin in our life gets taken away. So we're, first of all, sanctified in that the penalty of sin does no longer apply. We will not be damned for our sin in hell eternally. Positionally, justification. Practically, we are not under the power of sin anymore, but we can yield to it. But we don't have to fall prey to sin because we are already more than conquerors through Christ. All right? He's already given us the victory. He will not tempt us above things which we are able. Like all those principles, right? And then ultimately one day, the presence of sin will be taken away. Now you're in Hebrews chapter 10. We're talking about positional sanctification. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are sanctified by the single offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's justification. That is what that is talking about. We are sanctified, put aside positionally because of Christ's sacrifice in our stead. Um, something I wanted to turn you to, but we're going to run out of time, and that is in Romans chapter 8. It speaks about, essentially, what is God's will for every Christian? How to be conformed to the image of His Son. And in that, in that verse, it speaks about those whom He 
pre, those whom He predestined, and those whom He called, He justified, and those whom He justified, He glorified. So those who He justified, those are the ones who will be glorified. But it speaks about the, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that fits in here. Once again, you see all three parts playing a role. Now, what I find, this is where the tenses come in again. The tenses of the word sanctified. We read, read in, in verse 10, this sanctified, referring to the, the perfect, it's, it's referred to as the perfect tense. In other words, it is already fulfilled currently now. Okay? So when it says, which, um, by the which will we are sanctified, it is true, it is fixed, it is perfect tense. That is done. But look at verse 14 quickly. It says, Hebrews 10 verse 14, it says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, that sanctified is not the same tense. It's the, it's the present tense, or the present participle, or some, I can't remember what it's referred to, but the present participle, I think. And that essentially says, look at the verse. It says, verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected. That's done. That's justification. He hath perfected forever. But it says them that are presently sanctified. It's, the tense is different. In other words, right now, those who have been justified are presently being sanctified. You see that? That is exactly that. We are presently being sanctified. So that is the, that is the connection that is, that is happening here, is that those who have been justified are being sanctified. Now, let's have a look at a verse quickly under practical, practical sanctification. You can turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy two verse nineteen. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. What is that? Justification. The Lord knows them that are his. Positionally they are they, they, it stands sure. It has been sealed. It is done. Okay? The verse continues. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's the process. That's the, the practical side of things. Verse 20. But in a great house, they are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor, what? Sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. If you want to be used of God, this is where it plays a great role. Yes, you need to have been justified, but you need to purge yourself from these that he may present his vessel sanctified. In other words, set apart. Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, here am I, Use me. That comes in here. That is that sanctification that you are ready to be used, prepared unto every good work. Have a look at um, just in um, First Tim uh, Second Timothy chapter 3. Now at the end of verse 21 of First Timothy 2, we read that we are sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now look at 
um, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So how do you, can I say, walk this road? How do you get from justification closer to glorification for that final day when Jesus Christ comes? It is by God's Word. Because the Scripture is given for this purpose. It is given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay? And so that is the journey that we're on. We want to be sanctified practically. We know that these two items are fixed. Per, the position and, the, position and the, 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 the perfect state, these two items are fixed in time. That is going to happen. If you have been justified, you will be glorified. And that is a wonderful, wonderful biblical truth. You need to hold on to that. Because... Why am I putting this out like this? Why am I differentiating between these things? Why am I... Why is this important? Because if you get this wrong, if you see my sanctification is my process of becoming accepted, that's, that's a problem. If, if you look around you and you see people struggling there and there with sin, then do you immediately jump to the conclusion that therefore they're not justified? Do you understand how this practically influences the way you think and the way you're going to act? Is by seeing this, how God differentiates between this. And this is a gift. And that is a gift. Absolutely. And the fact that God then empowers us and guides us through His Word is an absolute blessing. I just want to show you, I want to show you one more verse. Have a look at um, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3 verse um, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. That's justification. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, that's the same context we're talking about, okay, in First Thessalonians. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's our glorification. That's the perfection of our sanctification. We shall see Him, we shall be like He is, verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So he's saying, we are called the sons of God. And we will see him as he is and we shall be like he is. Therefore, everyone who has this hope in him, that God is, Christ is returning and he will ultimately finish this work which he has started, purifies himself. That is, that is where we need to... These two things need to be so fixed in our mind that... We, do not, we don't fall this way, we don't fall that way. We know it as a fact so that we can put our focus and our effort into yielding to what God wants us to do, into that practical sanctification. So, why is this important? It's important because it should bring you hope. 
It should give you great peace. It should make you know that it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, what's going on around you, what's going on inside of you, that is fixed. It never, never changes. It is not conditional. Also, don't make the mistake that this is a one-zero game. This is either a one or a zero. You're either justified or you're not, and therefore you will either be glorified or you won't be. Sanctification is, there are degrees to it. Okay, so keep that in mind, one, towards other fellow Christians, and secondly, for yourself, to be patient with yourself and not to doubt your justification just because there's a time of, can I say, hovering <laughs> during your sanctification. Sanctification, this is also important because sanctification is not just a body thing, as I said in the beginning. It's not just a body thing. It's not just you taking on new habits. That's not sanctification. I think a, a very, very important verse to remember when it comes to this is Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So there is, your body needs to be that living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then it says, and be not be conformed to this world. That affects your mind, the way you think, the way you act, all of that. Um, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is what God wants us. He wants our hearts and our minds to be renewed by, as it says in Ephesians 5, by the washing of the word, that he may present the church sanctified. All right? And so that is what God, he wants to wash us, he wants to clean us, so that as we started off in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says that he may preserve your spirit, soul, and body blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you end up being blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? You faithfully, that's the word, faithfully pursued sanctification. It's not about where you at 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%. Every person's percentage is going to be different. Every person's time of salvation is going to be different. Every person's church and involvement is going to be different. It's did you faithfully pursue sanctification? If you faithfully pursued sanctification, you can be blameless at that day when Jesus Christ returns. 1 John 2.28 And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, you may have confidence and not be ashamed at His coming. That is where we want to be. Blameless, confident, and not ashamed at Jesus' return. Amen. There's cake. Be reminded. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege, Lord, of these, these fundamental doctrines and truths, Lord. Lord, what an absolute blessing to be, to be declared righteous even though I am not. <laughs> to know, Lord, that, that you see us as the righteousness of Christ. What an absolute gift. Well, thank you that you will one day complete this work that you have started in us. Oh, but Lord, please find us faithful. Lord, please find us faithful in our, in our pursuit, in our practical sanctification. Lord, that our lives will be to the glory of your name 
and that our lives would um, bring praise and, and draw others to you, Lord. Lord, that you said, if you be lifted up, you will draw all men unto you. Lord, may that be the case of our lives. May our lives lift you up. And Lord, may people be drawn to that. Lord, thank you so much for working in us. And Lord, I pray that you would please continue to work in us in the rest of this day and for the next 10 years of this church, Lord. May we as a body be sanctified and meet for the Master's use. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.